Thanks for being here today at Homestead Church. We're glad you're with us today. We are starting a new series, and I'm excited about this series. We're calling it Good News because, and here's why I wanted to do this series, over the last several months, and this is not just related to the election, but partly, it just felt like everything was starting to get weighed down. You look on the news, you'd look on Facebook, you'd talk to friends, and every conversation, it just started to feel like kind of mwah, mwah, like everyone's just feeling down and discouraged, and maybe it was the winter blues starting to kick in, and I've noticed that never before have I have been so excited to start seeing Christmas ads on television now. The political season is over. I'm like, yay, some other commercials, even though technically I don't think we're allowed to show commercials on Christmas before December starts, but that's just me. Um, but I, have, I had the feeling... I just got this sense that there was everyone was just down. At least maybe that was just me. Anyone else feel that? I just started to feel down. I started to feel like everywhere you looked, it was bad news. Started to watch the TV every time. If you watch the local news or the national news, it's just like you start watching that, and I'm thinking, yeah, I know there's there's terrible things that happen in the world, but wow, this is just bad story after bad story. And then maybe they'll throw you throw you a bone every once in a while. They'll throw a little you know human interest story that's a happy story right before they bring you back to the bad news. Here's all the bad things going on in the world. So I wanted us as Homestead Church to lead the way and just focus on some of the good that is in the world. I want us to focus on good things. I don't want us to be down and out. I think there's more reason to celebrate than to be discouraged. I think there is more good in the world than there is bad. And if you agree, you could say an amen. I believe that there is good to be celebrated. So this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to, we're going to have other videos like that, just kind of celebrating some of the good things throughout the Christmas season. Um, and as I was preparing for this series, I was reading some news articles because I was curious whether or not the news media outlets, they do more bad news than good, or if that's just the way it seems. And if they are doing more bad news, is it because they think the audience is wanting to see more bad news? Are we as people drawn to bad news? If you're looking at whatever your Google homepage, whatever, if you're looking at a list of news stories, where are, your eye, where are you more likely to click? On something happy or something bad news? So I was reading some articles, because there was a couple articles that had done some studies on this. One of them was in, uh, these are all, both from a couple of years old. One was from the BBC and one was from New York Magazine. I just found them Googling online. And one of them was asking the question, are we as people drawn to bad news? Are we drawn to bad news? And they did a, uh, an experiment with some people. They had them come in. It was basically, okay, we're going to just track what you know, news stories are they more likely to read. And they did find mostly, most of the people were more prone to click on or read or have their eyes drawn to stories that were inherently negative, stories that were bad, stories that were about bad news. And it was interesting to read that, and they asked, well, why is this? And they said, well, one of the reasons, and this is just their opinions on this, is that we as humans have learned to perceive anything that could be a threat. So we are, you know, I think they were speaking more in evolution terms, like we have evolved to perceive anything that can be threatening because inherently we are self-protectors. So we're going to look for anything that we should be afraid of, and typically you don't have to look far on the, on the interweb today to find, oh, this is something I should be afraid of, and this political person, and this party, and gas prices, and terrorism, and, and the Starbucks holiday cup, and all these things, you know, that we're supposed to be like, oh, we got to be afraid of all these things. They said, well, we are inherently drawn to things because we are inherently self-protectors. Therefore, bad news is something that we need to see so we know what to be afraid of. And that's kind of my paraphrase of what they were saying in this article. It was actually kind of a discouraging article to read, but that was their view on that. The second article from the BBC 
was about media coverage. And is there really nothing but bad news in the world? Or are media outlets, news outlets, newspapers, magazines, are they more prone to tell the story of bad news? Is there just bad news or are they just, are we only hearing about it because that's what the media is reporting? And it showed and they talked to several media outlets and all of them said there's more pressure with internet news sources, magazines, TV broadcasts, cable TV, all these things. There's more pressure to draw an audience to your newspaper, magazine, TV show, whatever it is. And so therefore, it must be sensational. It must grab your attention. And they said, news, news outlets have even said, we know kind of a bad news story that's sensationalized a little bit is going to draw their eye. It's going to get a few more clicks on the website or people to watch the news broadcast longer. And, uh, and they, there's a couple quotes from this article which I found very interesting and which fit well with what we're talking about today. They said, it can be hard not to see the media coverage as an unrelenting flow of negativity. And I thought that was great. Hello, political season on Facebook. An unrelenting flow of negativity, especially when it is so loudly amplified by social media. And here's another quote I wanted to read. In addition to a sense of helplessness... Cognitive shortcuts triggered by the news can also lead us to gradually see the world as a darker and darker place. That constantly seeing negative news will chip away any optimistic tendencies that you have. And maybe you are here today feeling like, yeah, I used to have more optimistic tendencies towards the world around me. But today I just start to feel that chipping away. So as we go through this season, I want to rebuild I want us to all together rebuild a few of those optimistic tendencies to start to see the good. I'm challenging you to see the good, to see the good in our world as we go through this Christmas season, to see the good in our circumstances, in our world, in our country, in our families. Maybe some of you just came from a family get-together over Thanksgiving and you're thinking, that's going to be a stretch for me to see the good in my families. Not me, of course, because most of my family's here today. Um, but in our families, in our world, in our circumstances to see good. So, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. That's going to be a tricky book to find. It's a short, a short small book in, towards the end of the New Testament. Thessalonians, there's 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 5. And we're going to read a few verses from there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These words are going to be up on the screen. We are going to start... Uh, in a minute with verse 4. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to a group of believers. This would have been a few, I mean, maybe 20, 30 years after Jesus had died and resurrected. Paul, the Apostle Paul has gone around and started new churches all around the, the region. And one of them is in Thessalonica. So now he is writing a letter to these new believers um, these Thessalonian believers. Now, he's talking about the future that is to come. He's talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back. He's talking about um, how, because of that, there's going to come a day where there will be increased darkness before Jesus comes back. And the temptation will be for people to become hopeless um, and to essentially wonder what's the point, all the darkness in the world. So this is kind of the context that we're talking about today. This is the context that the Apostle Paul is writing about to these believers in 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to read verse 4 through 10. The words will be up on the screen. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. And some other translations say sober-minded. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may, we may live together with him. We're going to pause there for a minute. We're going to continue on the next verses in a little while. But that is Paul talking to these believers. You, as children of God, are not children of darkness. You are not in the darkness And I love what he says, as children of the light, don't let the darkness surprise you, but instead put on, what did he say in verse 8? Put on faith and love and hope. I love that. I love that. As people of the light, as people, as children of God, as believers in Jesus, when there's darkness all around us, what do we put on? We put on faith. We put on hope and love. Faith is believing for good things in the future. Faith is being optimistic about future events, what is to come. Love is being optimistic and seeing the good in other people. Hope, because of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, we are to put on faith and love and hope. This is the ultimate reason to be joyful, amen? This is the ultimate reason we have. And I love, I mean, this sounds kind of like a fairly standard message so far, very churchy, you know, faith, hope, and love. Well, what does that mean? And we're going to dive into that a little bit. But I love how Paul, when he's writing this, he uses the imagery of armor, of armor. If you were here last week, Christy did a great job speaking, wrapping up our rebuilding series. And the verse she read was, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the original translation was, the joy of the Lord is your armor, is your helmet, right? Was it helmet? It was kind of like the joy of the Lord is going to be what protects you, what guards you in the midst of anything. Well, Paul is doing that same thing. He is talking in terms of armor, of armor. And he's he's done this in other times. If you've read the New Testament, you know there's the passage of Scripture where he talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We also heard Christy mention those verses last week that talk about armor written by another writer in the Old Testament. But I love that he talks about faith and love as a breastplate, as like a chest protector, as a piece of armor that guards you, that protects you. And the imagery here, which I get, which I love, is that faith and love protect your heart. Faith and love are what's going to protect your heart. And as those, those news articles that I was quoting earlier on, their view was very pessimistic, that we as humans tend to be very negative-minded because we're looking for things that are threats and we're therefore going to just want to protect ourselves. And maybe you walk through life that way, feeling like, ah, oh, my heart has been hurt before. Now I just need to keep everybody at a distance. New opportunities, new people, new relationships, new steps of faith. I have been let down before, so now I am going to protect myself. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I need to look out for myself. I need to protect my heart. Well, what Paul is saying, and I love this, is that this protection, this piece of armor that is going to guard our heart is not anything we do to keep people at a distance, not anything we can do to keep any threats at a distance, but it is faith. It is love. 
I love that Paul uses that imagery. Paul tells us there's a better way to protect our heart. Faith and love are what, gonna protect, or what is going to protect your heart. Believing that there is good ahead of us. Believing that there is good in future endeavors. Believing there is good in others. Believing that new friendships, new relationships are going to be good. This is what will guard our heart. Now, I don't believe that that will, co- that will prevent you from ever being hurt or disappointed. But what that will do is guard your heart from your heart being cold and calloused and hard. This faith and love. We are people of the light. Let us not live in self-protection mode, defensive mode, always looking at the negative, but let's look in faith and love and optimism. Paul goes on to use another piece of armor. He talks about faith and love as the breastplate, as the chest protector, but then he says, the hope of salvation as a helmet. Christy talked about this last week. The hope of salvation as your helmet. What does a helmet do? It protects your noggin. It protects your head. Now, I want to talk in terms of Hope of salvation will protect your mind, how you think. Our minds, how we think, are so powerful, so powerful. Maybe you've caught yourself constantly thinking more negative. Maybe when you encounter something new or you hear something on the news or you meet a new person, instantly your mind goes to the worst possible scenario. Instantly, your mind goes to, well, this could go wrong and that could go wrong. I've noticed there's been times in my life where I have struggled with that, where instantly my mind has almost become programmed to think negatively. And I want to challenge you if that's you. We need to have the hope of Jesus to protect our minds, to watch how we think. I had a great experience a couple weeks ago. Um, We did a sermon series in the fall out of the pit um, talking about anxiety and depression. And Because of that series, we made some great connections with some local counseling agencies, and one of them was Water's Edge Counseling Agency. They are in Burnsville. Well, because of the connection we made through the series, um, I got invited to a workshop that they were doing um, where some of the counselors and psychiatrists there were talking about trauma, talking about recovery from trauma, and helping those who have walked through anxiety and trauma and depression. So I went to this. I found it so interesting. I don't know if you're like me, but I love being around smart people when they're talking about stuff that I don't really know a lot about, and I was just soaking it in. I'm like, this is really, really interesting. Um, but what was most interesting to me was when they were talking about how our minds work, how powerful our minds are in the ways that we think, in the ways that we process new information, how adaptive our brain is, how adaptive our ways of thought are, how if we go through a certain experience, that will shape how our brain processes future information. So trauma that we go through, especially trauma at a young age, can have drastic ramifications for how our brain then processes new information. The brain will rewire itself to say, well, this happened, therefore now everything that you go through is going to be the same thing, if you have those negative thoughts over and over. For example, they talked about attachment disorder in young babies, in babies specifically in other parts of the world that grew up without parents, that grew up in orphanages, there is an attachment disorder that happens because what happens, any new baby is going to learn, I have to cry out a little bit for help, and then mom or dad or somebody's going to come and help me. That's how babies know how to communicate in the world. Well, in an orphanage, and it's a heartbreaking situation that is going on in our world, but in an orphanage, babies learn right away, oh, I'm crying, but nobody's coming. 
nope, nobody's coming. And what they say is this attachment disorder, babies who don't receive that love or attention early on in life, their brains rewire themselves to learn this, what they think is a truth. And they learn, okay, even when I cry, nobody's coming to help me. And there is drastic ramifications that happen later on, this attachment disorder. Imagine going through life where your brain is hardwired to think nobody's coming to help you. Nobody's going to come help you. Even when you're crying out, there's not going to be anyone there. Why bother? People are just going to let you down. And they talked about this and in other areas as well as how habits are formed. How habits are formed. Our brain recognizes, and this is, you know, this is something, I wrote down a few big words so I could sound smart, but I, I was just kind of writing, writing these down. Neuropathways in our brain that are used more often are going to be reinforced. They're going to be fed. They're going to thrive. Neuropathways or ways of thinking that aren't used are going to die off, and new pathways will be formed. So this was so interesting to me, how habits are formed. Our brain recognizes which ways of thinking are used the most, and it reinforces those. So if you're constantly thinking negatively, your brain is going to reinforce that. Your brain will adapt. It will become habitual. And they used this example, which I thought was great, and I'll use it today. So if you drove to church today, those of you who are drivers, you didn't really have to think about all the details of driving the car. Now compare that to the very first day. If you can remember the very first day you got behind the wheel, Think about that. The first time you were ever going to drive a car, your mind was thinking about every little thing. Where's the seat? Where's the mirror? Okay, put this in D is for drive, and I'm going to back up, and the blinkers work, and you were like safety checking everything. But now, driving has become habitual for you. You, just, you, don't, you get in the car, you don't think about all the things necessary to operate a motor vehicle, right? You just get in, you start the car, you start going. Now, does that mean... Everybody who drives, who habitually uh, has habits of driving, does that mean everybody is a good driver in the world? No, it does not, right? Would you, would you agree that not everybody is a good driver in the world? Now, in my history of living in all 43 years, I've never met anyone who disagreed with that. They would all say, yeah, there are some bad drivers in the world, but I've never met anyone who thinks it's them that's the bad driver, right? You've never met anyone who says, yeah, it's me. Yeah, I don't know how to use the roundabouts. It's me. I always stop, and there's nobody in there, and I shouldn't stop. I should just go. Um, it, it, you know, I've been told that some of my bad habits in driving are involving my blinker, my turn signal, that I may not do it all the time. Now, you don't realize you've got some bad habits until when? Until you have a kid who's gone through driver's ed, and they're sitting next to you, and they're like, Dad, you didn't shoulder check. Dad, you didn't turn, the, you didn't turn your turn signal on. Dad, that wasn't a complete stop, right? When we learn how to drive, it's all new, and we are very attentive to all the details. We're thinking about everything. Once it becomes habitual, we do it without thinking. And there can be some times where bad habits develop. We don't recognize it. It's become habitual, but there are bad habits. It's the same way with the ways that we think. There are bad habits. I had, um, because it was my birthday, Lifetime Fitness, because, um, I don't know, because it's my birthday and they want to connect me with a personal trainer, they said, hey, come in for a free session with a personal trainer because it's your birthday. I said, great. 
I like free. Um, and so I went and met with this lady, and she said, okay, what, she answered a ton of questions. She said, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to start with this simple exercise. I want you to just put your hands up over your head and then basically like do a squat. Go down and then back up. And I'm like, well, that's so easy. Like, this is a waste. I'm, I don't know. I, I should be able to handle this. So I did like five of those, and then I stood back up, and I was doing this. And right away, she was able to say, okay, look. She was able to say this. Look at your hands. You're there forward that you're compensating for weak back muscles there because your posture is forward. So what we want you to do is get those shoulders back, stand up straight. Now look at your toes. Your toes are pointed outwards. I want you to keep those toes pointed forwards because when they're out like that, that's your body compensating for some weak muscles that are there that need to be strengthened. Instead, your body has learned to compensate with other things. And so you're compensating with your back. Your back is going to be sore. And she said, I bet you have back pain kind of here sometimes. I said, yes. How did you know that? She's like, your body has learned to compensate for for ways that you're doing things that are not right. So then she had me have my toes pointed straight ahead, have my arms straight up, my shoulders back, and then try to do it. And I, it was like I'd never walked before. I was like, ah, I can't even, you know, I felt like such, a, such an amateur, which I, I really am, I guess. And instantly, like two or three times down and up, I was like, oh, man, I can totally feel that in all sorts of different muscles. And she's like, yes, you have to retrain your body to not compensate for bad habits. You have to retrain those muscles. And I thought that fits so well today with the way that we think. When we hear the Apostle Paul talk about the hope of salvation as a way to guard our mind, this is what I think about. We have to retrain our minds. We are compensating for bad thinking habits. We are compensating for bad thought processes. Thoughts that are constantly negative. Thoughts that are constantly seeing the worst in any situation. You are suspicious of other people. You are defensive. You are cynical. When you hear someone say they want to have a Zumba birthday party, your instant thought is, there's no way I'm going to that because, and you think of all the reasons why you wouldn't go for that. Instead, why wouldn't we have a why not? Why not? Maybe it'll be fun mentality. There are so many ways that we do that. And if we think negatively long enough, our brains are going to adapt, and this will become normal. This will become habitual. This will be reinforced. When you face a new situation, your brain will be hardwired to see it as something negative. When you meet a new person, you will be hardwired to feel defensive, to keep them at a distance, wondering how this person can hurt you or harm you. Have you ever felt like naturally you just think negatively? I've been there. We need to retrain our thoughts to see the good. And the good news is, is we can. It might be awkward at first. It might be hard, similar to me trying to bend down and stand up with my toes pointed for. I mean, it might be hard at first, but we can retrain our muscles. If you exercise, you know that you can retrain muscles. We can retrain our minds to think differently. Romans 12, 2 says this, this verse. It's not going to be on the screen, but you probably have heard this before. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. How this change in us, how this new life that God is going to build in us, it is foundational that we have our minds renewed, that it starts with how we think. We did, a, we did the, Psalm, or the Psalm 34 scripture challenge this past summer, and some of you made it all the way through, and some of you only made it a few verses. And the third verse, maybe you remember this one, the third verse Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. That's Psalm 34, verse 3. Another translation, which I love the wording of this, says this. Magnify 
the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love the word magnify. Just think about that word magnify. What do you do when you magnify something? You make it bigger. Imagine a magnifying glass, okay? If I was on the ball, I would have had a magnifying glass. What do you do with a magnifying glass other than burn insects as a kid growing up um, on a sunny day? You make things bigger. If you put it over text, that text will pop out. Whatever you have the magnifying glass is going to come into focus. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be what your eye is drawn to. I love that word magnify in Psalm 34. Magnify the Lord. Make God bigger in your life is what that is saying. Make God, make the things of God bigger in your life. Make the good things bigger in your life. Magnify the good. What does your eye focus on throughout your day? What does your heart focus on? What does your mind focus on? In a conversation, watching the, watching the news, surfing the web, what does your eye focus on? I want us to imagine everything we look at this week as a magnifying glass of what we are focusing on, and I want us to spend more time magnifying the good, magnifying the things of God. What do you dwell on? When you're surfing Facebook, what do you stop and read? Do you find yourself afterwards just feeling like this was a total downer waste of time? I find myself thinking that from time to time. Conversations, are you drawn to gossip? Are you drawn to assuming the worst in other people when you hear about them? Assuming the worst in other groups of people. We are in a, in a situation in our country where we have done a terrible job at labeling everybody as groups. That can be political, left side, right side, red state, blue state. That can be racial people in the Black Lives Matter movement. We instantly hear that and we can think, well, I know what they're like. People who voted for a certain party, well, I know exactly what they're like because we've labeled them all in groups because our mind has just gotten used to seeing the worst so often in other people. We need to rewire how we think. Magnify the good in a conversation. Highlight the good when someone is tearing somebody down. Say, I don't think that they're that way. And highlight the good. Magnify what is positive, what is good. Magnify the Lord. Magnify hope and faith and love. Philippians 4.8, these words are going to be on the screen. This would be such a great verse to memorize over the next few weeks as we talk about good news. Philippians 4.8 on the screen says this. Finally, brethren, Brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8. That should be our Christmas season scripture memorization challenge right there. Look at those things. Whatever is true. Think of a magnifying glass. What are you going to focus on? What are you going to think about? Whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, we lost it. Whatever is pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are true and of good report, if there is anything of good virtue, think about these things. Meditate on these things. Magnify these things. Make those things big. In an uncertain situation, look for the good. In a future step of faith, look for the good. Look for the good. Just think, wow, I get to take this step of faith. I'm unsure about it, but I know God is in it. I know he is going to look out for me. This new whatever it is, just, I know that God is with me. There's going to be good in store for me. In other people, in new opportunities, look for the good. In the world that is just filled with bad news, with negative, 
magnify the Lord. We need to be the children of God that through faith and hope and love, we magnify the good, the good things in life. We make it the focus. So as we wrap up today, I'm going to read the rest of 1 Thessalonians. We started reading, the Apostle Paul was saying, brothers and sisters, you are not children of the night. You are children of the day. You are children of God. You are children of the light. Therefore, put on faith and hope and love. And then he continues on in verse 11, and these are going to be on the screen. Therefore, because of all this, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. Holiday season, shopping. Yes, Black Friday, crazy. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We're going to pause there for a second. Look at all those words that he mentions. Encourage. Build up. Respect others. Respect others' viewpoints, even when they are different from yours. Live at peace. He also has in there, warn those who are idle or disruptive. It's not all like positive thinking duckies and bunnies, like we're not going to focus on anything negative. There's times where, yeah, we need to have hard conversations with people. Help the weak. Be patient. Don't seek revenge. Don't pay back wrong with wrong. And I love it just says, just try to be kind. Just try to be kind. That could be like goal number one for us, right? As people of God, just try to be kind. Just try to be kind. I think it's so funny that we follow up Thanksgiving, the day with families that we, that we gather together and we always you know, stand around the table and express what we're thankful for and all the blessings we have. And within like four hours, we all turn into maniacs at Walmart or whatever it is, you know, giving someone a throat punch over a cheap TV and it's just like, ah, we forgot all about it. I love that. There's going to be moments this holiday Christmas season where we need to remember these words, just those simple words, just try to be kind. Just try to be kind to other people. And then we go on to verse 16, another great verse, verse 16 through 18. If you want to memorize a a verse of Scripture, memorize these, because some of these are like two words long. Kids, if you wanted to tell your parents you memorized a verse of Scripture, Thessalonians 5, 16 would be great, because it's only two words. But I'm going to read these verses, verse 16 through 18. He sums it all up with this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love that. Be joyful always. Pray about everything and always give thanks. A lot of people are walking around saying, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? I don't know what God wants me to do. It's right there. It even says, this is God's will for your life. Rejoice. Be joyful. Amen? Be joyful. Pray about everything. And give thanks. Even when you're in the midst of something you're unsure about, pray about it and give thanks that God is with you. Be joyful. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life. So let's take some time this week, and maybe we need to retrain how we think. Maybe we need to rewire some thought patterns. 
maybe we need to look at what we're looking at and just magnify the good. What are you magnifying in your life? Just think about that. What do you spend time thinking about, dwelling on, worrying about? What do you spend time magnifying? What is big in your life? Is it conflict? Is it fear? Is it worry? What is it? And I want us to start to think about the good, the good that God gives us, the hope of our salvation, love for one another, faith in God that he has secured our future. Let's bow our heads today. Lord, we thank you, especially this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, we acknowledge you have been good. You are good. You are so good to us. And there are times where that goodness can be a little more hidden. There are times where we feel like we are in the midst of something difficult, but we know your goodness does not change. You are with us through every season. You are with us, working in every circumstance for our good, building strong character, building strong faith, causing the fruit of your spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, causing these things to grow in us. So, Lord, we open ourselves up to your work. Again, we want you to have your way in us, and we will do our best to focus on the good. We want to magnify you. We want to magnify you in our lives. Every situation, we want to have God big in our lives. We want to have our faith and love for one another and the hope that we have big. We want to focus on the good. And may that be a light in this dark world. May that be a light for those who need some good news. We thank you for every blessing. We thank you for all the good that we have. We thank you for this church, this community of people, and we ask that you would bless it. This week, Lord, help us to be mindful of the good, whatever is pure and lovely, whatever is true, whatever is of good report, whatever is pure, whatever is virtuous. These are the things that we're going to focus on this week. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.